All righty. Merry Christmas. Yeah, that was lame. So is it really Merry Christmas? Uh, most of us know that the holidays can be extremely busy and extremely stressful, but for many followers of Jesus, it also is honestly, and I know this from talking to so many of you, it is a nervous time of year. There's a couple different reasons for that. One is some of you are Martha Stewart's type, right? Everything has to be perfect. Okay, little insider information on that one. She has a staff. You don't, okay? So no one's expecting everything to be perfect. They just settled for you not being grumpy. Uh, For others of us, many of us who are followers of Jesus, uh, you know that in this holiday season, someone is going to bring up your faith. And many of us want to know what to say, but also it is important how to say it and to be prepared. So rather than me talk about it this morning, I thought we would go right to an apostle and we would ask an apostle for advice. And so the title of our message today is Apostolic Advice for the Holidays. To get advice, we have to talk about a couple subjects that many followers of Jesus feel very, very guilty about, and that is prayer and evangelism. Now, if you're not a follower of Jesus, I'm really glad you're here. I mean, you're getting some serious insider info here, right? This is like insider trading without going to jail kind of stuff that we're going to be talking about today. And so we're going to give you a lot of inside information on how we are supposed to think about talking to people who don't believe in Jesus. But, but prayer and evangelism, a lot of Christians don't like to talk about that stuff. Well, the reason is, is if I, if I talked about that and then I threw in forgiveness, sexual purity, generosity, Bible reading, serving, and a few others... I'm sure that I would ruin just about everybody's holiday. And if I did it on Christmas Eve, they'd probably cancel Christmas that year. The call to pray in the word of God is undeniable. But the call to evangelism, sharing your faith with people, uh, is debatable simply because there is not much teaching, direct teaching on the subject. And the debate is really this, is to what degree is evangelism, or sharing your faith again, for everyone or just those who are gifted at it? Now, it's fine to sit and debate those things. However, that does not stop the questions that people ask you about your faith. So we could go out to lunch, we could talk about that stuff forever, and you could still, on Christmas Eve dinner or Christmas Day dinner or the weekend before Christmas, whatever you do your thing, right, somebody will ask you about your faith, and you're not going to go, well, that's not my gift, I don't want to talk about it. So what do we do? Well, there's a few options we have. Um, one is we could never go to work after Thanksgiving. Just call in sick every day, right? Yeah, I'm not really feeling it. You know, the, the, you could get the flu, Right? Did you ever hear of the police department? They have the blue flu. Did you ever hear of that? Well, we Christians sometimes we get the pew flu, right? <laughs> so, so we just don't want to. We don't want to talk to anybody about anything. In fact, Christmas, believe it or not, December, a lot of people don't come to church uh, because they're like, "I'm too busy for Christmas." That's like, okay, we won't go there. Um, maybe you could change the subject to politics. Oh, that's always a that's always a great one at dinner. Um, Or maybe you'll just go, hey, why don't we talk about the after Christmas sales? So you try to avoid the subject, maybe. 
So what does the apostle say? Well, he, first off, he tells us to pray beforehand and in the moment. Look at Colossians 4, verse 2. He says, continue earnestly in prayer, being vigilant, vigilant, sorry, vigilant in it with thanksgiving. Another version says, continue steadfastly in prayer. Another version says, devote yourselves to prayer. Another version says that you are to be, instead of vigilant, to be watchful, alert. But they all say to be thankful. Really, thankful. You say, well, now I really feel guilty, Pastor Jim. I know Jesus is the reason for the season. And Pastor Jim, I even have a Keep Christ in Christmas bumper sticker. Could you text me this week and remind me to put it on my car? I've had it for years and it's starting to peel, but I haven't put it on my car yet. And I don't pray very much, Pastor Jim. And to be honest, with the busyness of the holidays, I barely pray at all right now. I mean, after all, I'm not a pastor. I know that's all you guys do is pray all the time. Don't ask our wives about that because they're intimidated by how much we pray all the time. We don't do anything else. That's not really true. If you're a guest, I'm totally making that up. Now, it would be very easy, and it would take so much less time for me to prepare sermons if my simple goal was to make you feel guilty. Like, I would just be like, are you praying enough? Are you sharing your faith enough? And some of you would feel guilty. You would leave here and be like, oh, I'm such a worthless piece of garbage. Others of you would feel good that you feel guilty. How sick is that? (laughs) You would meet me at the door and go, great message, Pastor. I felt so convicted. You know, after all the years I've been doing this, I think that's a lot of times a bunch of baloney. (laughs) Right? Just like, you know, sometimes people meet me at the door and they go, heard from the Lord, it's clear, I gotta go do it. I'm like, love you, man, I love you. Some of you are, what might feel proud. Oh, I pray. And I tell people about Jesus. Others of you would just tune me out. You'd start making your Christmas list and you think, this is great, man. As long as I write on the back of the bulletin, they think I'm taking notes on the sermon. So I look spiritual and I get things done at the same time. The truth of the matter is, the pastor's job is to preach so that the word of God does the work of God. Why? Because we are all stinkerama holy spirits. We are not good at it. And my goal is not to have you leave here feeling guilty and saying, I'm just going to try harder. So we have to look for what the Apostle Paul is trying to do. Now remember, we come right in, and this is chapter 4. We studied this on Wednesday nights. If you've listened to it or you were here, that's great. You know some of what we talked about already. But if you don't, we've come in in chapter 4. We've missed the first three chapters. And the the call to prayer is in light of chapters 1 through 3, which is the glory of Jesus Christ, the work that God has done and is doing and will do. And so the natural reaction to that is Prayer, talking with God, is part of the Christian life. So this is not meant to make you feel guilty. This is meant to help you hear the Lord's invitation 
for you to pray. But it's not just pray once. He says pray earnestly, pray steadfastly. This is an invitation to a life of talking to God, which helps you to grow your relationship with the Lord Jesus. Jesus uh, was talking with uh, his disciples. Luke 18, 1 tells us, Then he, Jesus, spoke a parable to them that men ought, always ought to pray and not lose heart. So Jesus was talking to them. He's saying, hey, guys, don't give up. Stay at it. Use prayer to fight discouragement. And as we talked about uh, earlier in the year, Ephesians 3.16, you will be strengthened in the inner man, the inner woman, by prayer. Now, this is not just words. To, to be effective, prayer must be accompanied by being what he calls vigilant or, or watchful or alert. Now, some of you might be thinking, hey, wow, does that mean I have to be like a, a special forces soldier with a machine gun at Christmas dinner? To quote that great theologian, Bugs Bunny, easy killer. <laughs> if you don't know who Bugs Bunny is, you got to check them out before they take them off YouTube. <laughs> no, it means we are to be alert to the realities of life and the power of God. And when you put those things together with prayer, our eyes of faith are opened. Now, why is this important? Well, for one, we know what to pray for. Also, as we're alert of what's going on around us, we will begin to hear God's invitation to pray. So did you ever see something really sad or somebody really sad and you're just like stunned and you're like, oh God, would you please help that person? You've heard God's invitation to pray. And so the reality is the more alert we are to the world around us, to the culture around us, the more we will hear that invitation because I think it's coming at us all day long. We're just not aware. It seems to me that many followers of Jesus are not that aware of the times we are living in and the power of the cultural influences. Now, if you take that, that we're not aware, we're not, we don't see the cultural influences, we're not alert, combine that with a lack of expectation of Christ's return, we will be less motivated to pray. Now, let me just talk for a second about Christ's return with your fam- friends, family members, and coworkers who are not followers of Jesus. Don't be weird. Don't be weird. What does he mean? <laughs> okay? All right, so let, let's just imagine that you're at your family dinner, and you are the resident theologian. You probably are at your dinner, at your, you might, even your company Christmas party. They may be like, he's the only one who goes to church. Let him pray, right? So that may happen to you at your family dinner. Don't be weird. Don't be like, would you mind if I pray the rapture happens before dessert? That's like really weird. (laughs) The people are like, what is he talking about? Don't pray in some language that they don't understand, that they need a Christian dictionary to to understand what he prayed, right? That was beautiful. What What were you talking about? What were you talking about? So don't be weird. Be very, very careful. 
But the apostle also tells us in the midst of this complicated world, in the midst of our friends, family members, and co-workers, pray with thanksgiving. So be thankful for that, for that you know, dinner you're going to have with those people that make your life difficult. Be thankful when you, if you're the person who prays. Be thankful all the time when you pray. You see, our being watchful and alert is not meant to fuel our fear. It's meant to fuel our faith as we are thankful. So if you're here today and you are fearful, and I know a lot of people are, just try being more thankful and see how that works against your fear. You say, okay, Pastor Jim, I'm with you so far. Uh, I'm not so sure what that has to do with the holidays. And certainly it has absolutely nothing to do with my obnoxious brother-in-law who makes fun of my faith every Christmas. Well, when all else fails, put a laxative in his uh, food. (laughs) Not true, not true. Just trying to keep everybody awake in this tired Christmas season. All right, there's actually points to this sermon. Not many, but there are. (laughs) Number one, number one, pray for open doors. Pray for open doors. There's an old expression, uh, talk to God about people before you talk to people about God. I think it's really probably a shortened version of an old E.M. Bounds quote, but talk to God about people before you talk to people about God. So what does it mean to pray for an open door? He's going to explain to us verse 3. Meanwhile, praying also for us that God would open a door to us for the word. Some of your versions say the message to speak the, look at this, mystery of Christ for which I am also in chains. Some of your versions say in prison. He's in prison. Verse 4, that I may make it manifest or let's say put on display. Some of your versions say make it clear as they ought to speak. Now, if you're just reading that, you know nothing about the Bible at all, you go, no wonder I don't read it. It's confusing. He just said that I'm going to pray for an open door. What in the world does that mean? Well, just think of an opportunity. I'm going to pray for an open door to speak and make clear the mysteries of God. (laughs) Right? You're like, I'm not so sure I understand the mysteries of God. Well, listen, there are many, many things that are worth praying for, but as you go along longer in your faith, you will realize that alert and thankful prayer has a way of helping you to see and to pray the heart of God. Don't ask me how that happens. I just know that it does. Interesting, he does not pray that God opens the prison door. He does pray that God opens the door or makes an opportunity for the good news of Jesus Christ to be spoken with people. So this tells us a few things. First, it tells us that God is the one who opens the door of opportunity. God is the one who opens the door of that opportunity if the word of God is to be effective. 
Now you say, well, I, I seemed like the door was open. I told people, and then they rejected it. Yet the gospel still went forth. There is an unseen world, so we don't know what they're thinking about when, when the gospel goes forth. It also tells us that God must open the door of human hearts. So that's something that we want to pray for. And to speak to others about Jesus Christ is not effective without the Lord's help. In Acts chapter 14, uh, Paul and Barnabas, they were out on a missionary trip, and the, their first trip, and the, Paul's first trip, and they come back, and man, it was just so exciting. There was so much going on, and you know, that guy, is just like, he, he preaches, and he gets beat up. I preach, and people go have coffee and donuts, but he preaches, and, 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 people get, and he gets beat up. He gets arrested, but people become followers of Jesus. People have demons in them, and the demons start talking through the people. All kinds of stuff happens, so they go back to the church that sent them out. So they go out, they come back, they're in the church in Antioch, and this is what happens, Acts 14, 27. Now when they had come and gathered the church together, they reported all that God had done with them and that he, God, had opened the door of faith to the Gentiles. So here's the great apostle Paul going, wasn't me, was God who did it. 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 12, he says, same Apostle Paul, further, writing to the Corinthians, Furthermore, when I came to Troas to preach Christ's gospel, and a door was, look at this, opened to me by the Lord. So he wants us to see that the Lord must open the door for the word. The Lord must open the door for the message. Now, many people think we need uh, the right strategies, the right methods. Um, we, just, we just, you know, got to know what we're doing all the time. And others brag how they push the door open. You know anybody like that? They're like, yep. Anytime anybody speaks to me, man, they're getting Jesus. I'm like, I bet they do. <laughs> they're like, I give them a taste of Jesus. And I'm like, well, you gave them a taste of something. I don't know if it's a taste of Jesus, right? And I think the Apostle Paul disagrees with much of our thinking. He knows that the doors to the gospel are often padlocked. He knows that the door of speaking the word, speaking the message is very, very difficult. And he knows that many people's hearts actually have armed guards. And they don't want you to get anywhere close. And, and sometimes people get so angry with you because you get so close. We see that here in church. We see people where we know God is getting close and they stop coming because they're weirded out. They don't, they don't know what to deal to do with this thing. And we need to, you know, we need to pursue them. The Apostle Paul was uh, in Ephesus when he wrote to the Corinthians, and he says this, 1 Corinthians 16, 9, he says, for a great, he's going to be delayed there, for a great and effective door has opened to me, and there are many adversaries. So it's important to understand that in the Apostle Paul's day, as it is in our day, the good news of Jesus Christ is a politically incorrect message. And the Apostle Paul is very honest about that. He goes, that's why I'm in prison. That's why I suffer. And, and we should not be any different. We should expect that we're going to suffer some, some, probably for us, it will just be ridicule, or you might even lose your job 
for following Jesus. If you follow Jesus, if you tell people about Jesus, if there's an open door, some people will listen. Other people will begin to say untrue things about you. Yet as we will see, the Apostle Paul's going to tell us, don't you throw gasoline on the fire. Don't you make it any more offensive. The scripture talks about the offense of the cross. It's offensive to people. Don't you make it any more offensive than it already is that they're sinners in need of a savior. Now, it is true that God opens doors while people try to shut them in his face, but let's listen to what Paul writes to Timothy, 2 Timothy 2.9. He says about the message, for which I suffer trouble as an evildoer. Was he an evildoer? No, people said false things about him. Even to the point of chains being arrested, but the word of God is not chained. It's like they, they can stop us, but they can't stop the word of God going forward. Let me give you a, a clear-cut, undeniable example. Jesus died on the cross, rose from the dead, and ascended to heaven. The apostles, they're all gone, right? The great saints of the last 2,000 years, the great theologians, the great you know, servants of Christ in all different endeavors, most of them are gone, right? And here we are. You know Why? Because the word of God is not chained. Not going to happen. So he says in verse 3, the message, the message. This is the message. It's not about how to be happy, how to get rich. I, don't, I watch that. I'm like, gosh, you guys should open your Bible once in a while, man. Really? The message, he says in verse 3, is the mystery of Christ. Now, in the way we think, a, a mystery is something that is unsolvable or something you can't know. You know, people say, what's going on with that? You're like, it's a mystery to me. I, I, I have no idea. But in the Bible, a mystery is something revealed by God in Christ to the apostles. And then they, through the scriptures, have revealed it to us. Yet, for us, it is still a mystery. For us who are followers of Jesus, it is still a mystery to be revealed by God Two people who don't understand the mystery by the word of God and the Holy Spirit through followers of Jesus who know Jesus and have experienced the mystery. So basically, we pray for an open door for the word, says in verse 3, but, but our words, which he says make manifest or make clear, we are to explain the mystery to people. Now you say, that's great. What's the mystery? Okay. If you turn back a page or two to chapter one, he says this, Colossians 1, 26 and 27. The mystery which has been hidden from ages, from generations and from generations, but now something has changed but now has been revealed to his saints. Now, in the Bible, don't get all jacked up about that. In the Bible, those are the people who just have put their trust in Jesus. They're following Jesus. They're the holy people of God. That's, that's who they are in the Bible. Other people came along hundreds of years later and changed the rules. But I'm just sticking with what Jesus and the apostles said. Verse 27, to them, the people who follow Jesus, God has willed to make known what are the riches of the glory of 
of this mystery among the Gentiles, the non-Jews, which is. And here is the mystery revealed. Christ in you, the hope of glory. Christ in you, the scripture says that when, in Galatians, that when you put your trust in Jesus Christ, that the spirit of Christ, the Holy Spirit, comes to live inside of you. So Christ Spirit inside of you is the only hope. Remember in the Bible, the the word hope means certainty. Is the only certainty anyone has of glory. What is glory? That is heaven. So the only way to get to heaven is to have Christ living in you. If you don't, you can't go there. Let's just imagine someone, we've seen people walk on the moon. They have this big suit on and they're... They have the suit to live in heaven. What happens if they take their helmet off? That's it. They're goners. If you don't have Christ living in you, you don't have what it takes to live in heaven. It's sort of like the suit. You have to have that. So those are the doors we pray to have open, to be able to begin a conversation with people about such things. After we pray for open doors this holiday season and always, and sometimes it's going to be, you might have to say to someone, you know, uh, you know, before my, you know, the laxative kicks in and my brother-in-law goes to the bathroom, um, <laughs> we may have to talk about this at another time. I'd be happy to talk online or call or get together and have coffee or lunch or something like that. Uh, but after we pray for open doors this holiday season and always, number two, pray for open mouths. Pray for open mouths, which is actually more than is, than is obvious. So we have to sort of really bear down and pay attention to what he says here. Verse 5 and 6. Walk in wisdom toward those who are outside. Some versions say outsiders. Redeeming the time. Other versions say making the most of the time or making the most of the opportunity. Verse 6. Let your speech... Some versions say conversation. Always be with grace, seasoned with salt, that you may know how you ought to answer each one. Some versions say how to answer each person. So here he's telling us that it is very important how we walk, that means how we live, and how we talk to people who are what he calls you know, outside or outsiders. What does that mean? It means that Christ is not living in them and therefore they are outside the kingdom of heaven. They are outside the kingdom of God. They are non-Christians. They have not turned to God and put their trust in Jesus Christ. Now, if that's you, I'm thrilled that you're here. Super, super thrilled that you're here. If you have obnoxious friends, Please bring them here, and I will be thrilled that they are here, right? As long as they don't punch me in the face in between services because I don't want to be all bloody during second service, right? But, but love to meet those kinds of people. L- love, to, love to meet them. And so he, he says that's important. Now, on the other side, if you are what we call an insider, the opposite of an outsider is an insider, 
You're like, I've trusted in Jesus, and, and I know that he lives inside of me. I know I'm going to heaven. Don't forget that you were once an outsider. And I think that's a big problem with a lot of us, is we're now insiders, and we forget that we were once outsiders, and sometimes we look at people and we're like, I can't believe those people. And we used to do all the same stuff. Like, well, I didn't do that. If you had the opportunity, you probably would have. <laughs> now, this actually takes more effort than one thinks because it's so easy um, to get into the Christian bubble and, and to stay there um, or, or to start hanging out with, oh, I'm gonna, this is really offensive, but I don't care. To start, really, to start really hanging out with the biblically illiterate Christian elite barf. I mean, really, I mean, just stay away from those people. Stay away from those people. Um, you see, for the majority of us who are followers of Jesus, Jesus came looking for us through another person. And I think a lot of times we forget that. And I know the people that, 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 that Jesus came looking to me through and I feel in, a, in an odd sense, not in a guilt sense, but in an odd sense, that in a sense, I owe them to do the same for someone else. They wouldn't want me to do anything for them, but they would love to know that I'm doing something for someone else. Because the good news is passed along to others. It's not something that we hoard. It's not something that we just keep for ourselves. I know everybody's, a lot of people walking around like, it's just about me and my private personal relationship with Jesus Christ. Oh, listen to yourself, please. <laughs> please. Our Savior was crucified publicly on a cross. You don't, you don't think that's private, do you? There's a private aspect to it for sure, but come on. When he says walk or live in wisdom towards those who are on the outside, you know what that assumes? That assumes we encounter people who live on the outside. That assumes we're not just going to be just, you know, like some, like, oh, these are really holy monks. They're up in a tower and they don't talk to people. That's actually sinful. Now, I'm not saying that to do that for a month or a couple of weeks or something like that is wrong to get away and stuff like that. But if that's your life, how is that promoting the spread of, of Christianity in the world? So when we do encounter other people, how we live and how we behave matters. Not to mention this, and this is very, very important. Wisdom includes not conforming to their walk. So if you have a friend that you, every time you go out with them, you get drunk and do stupid things, simple, wise advice. Don't go out with them. You're like, that's just too simple. That's insulting. That might be a word for someone, right? So be, we have to be very, very careful. It's easy, if we're not careful, to be one way on Sunday and different the rest of the week. And so we have to be very, very careful of that. Um, and, and friends, it is so important for us to realize this. 
that many people who are not followers of Jesus listen to us more with their eyes than their ears. I want to really drive that one home. A lot of people who are not followers of Jesus listen to us more with their eyes than with their ears. They're watching us. We have to, if you will, with some people, earn the right to speak. And that's why it's important that we're following Jesus. I'm not telling you to be all nervous about it. Just follow Jesus. It's also these days so easy to join into the hyper political movement and be so obnoxious that no one even wants to talk to you. I mean, these political arguments that people get into are are really, I hear a lot of people talking about them and I'm like, okay, you're talking facts and you're talking emotion and you'll never agree. You just never will agree. And so be very careful of being sucked into that trap. I remember years ago, I went out to lunch with a guy, and, and this dude was so obnoxious to the waitress. He's telling me all about Jesus, and he was so obnoxious to the waitress. So I was like, um, I got lunch, man. I got it. And, and he goes, I'll leave the tip. I go, okay, fine. He goes, but I don't leave a tip. I leave a Bible tract. <laughs> and I'm like, bro, you should leave like a 100% tip. <laughs> All right, you were so obnoxious. So he didn't. And, and we go outside and I said, hey, man, I got to go to the bathroom before I leave, which was true. I did go to the bathroom. And then I found the waitress and I said, um, really sorry about my obnoxious friend. And, and here's your tip. I was like, dude, you are out to lunch. <laughs> Not just with me. <laughs> like you're out there. You're going to be obnoxious to people? Not even, not even show her common decency and respect? And then you're going to hand her a piece of paper and expect her to go home and go, oh, Jesus, I want to be like him. <laughs> now, I love the Apostle Paul's sense of urgency. I think it's key here. He says, redeeming the time. Another version, again, making the most of the time, making the most of the opportunity. The idea is that time is in short supply, so use it wisely. It's a market term. It actually means buy it all or buy it all out. And the word time here, we've come across this word before. This is not the word chronos, chronological, where most time is. This is the word kairos, which means that is a specific moment in time and it will not last. Why is he saying it? Because open doors often close very quickly. And I know you know this. I'm not telling you something you don't know unless you're very, very young. But this is no longer your great-great-grandma's America. The times have changed, and we are called to be missionaries now. This is, for us, our Kairos moment. Other people felt the same way. You know, a lot of ways in terms of faith, we're tracking behind what Europe was. Charles Haddon Spurgeon, uh, never in 1873, said this to his congregation, never one to mince words. He said, every Christian here is either a missionary or an imposter. 
I don't know. I, I don't think that, that the Apostle Paul would be complaining to people who are not followers of Jesus how commercial Christmas is. I don't think he would waste time with that. I think he would gladly concede that's Linus's ministry. If you don't know what I'm talking about, you should watch Charlie Brown's Christmas again. It's still on. It's a classic. He combined, the Apostle Paul combined wisdom and urgency to use the opportunity of an open door to tell people about Jesus, constantly aware that that open door might close at any second. And maybe you've met somebody who seemed open, and then the next time you went to talk to them, that door was shut. E.F. Scott said this, If men are to be won to Christ before he, the man, comes to judgment, it must be done now. Now, this is something constantly on my heart for me, for our church, and the church in America, is that we would have a sense of urgency. And the thing that's hard, some of you are, are newer to the faith, and, and you're just busting at the seams, and I love it. And, but others of us have been at this a long time. And if we're totally honest, maybe our urgency is beginning to fade. Oh, I know people care. I do know that. But, but do they, do we care enough to the point of doing something about it? Are we motivated by grace, not guilt, by what God has done for us in the person of Jesus Christ to reach out to others? This may surprise you, but if you regularly attend this church, did you know that there are many people here each week who are exploring faith? If you are a kid's teacher, many of them stand in front of you. You know those obnoxious little brats that make you want to pull your hair out? You probably have the greatest evangelistic ministry in this church. And I say all the time, if I wasn't doing what I do, that's where I would be. That's where I would be. And I'm not going to let any of those kids get under my skin. Not going to happen. So I want to tell them about Jesus. And they may hate me now, but they'll always remember me. That obnoxious guy, always talking about Jesus. Not only are they kids, many of them are the parents of the kids. A lot of the parents of the kids that they're coming here because they're, they're trying to navigate faith in this crazy culture that we live in. Others just, just moved to the area and they don't know anybody and they heard church people are nice. Some are nice. Some are like piranhas. We just tell them to stop, right? Others are coming off deep trauma, divorce, the death of a loved one or something like that. They, they are sitting here right now. They sit among us all the time. Now, I don't want this to be some short-lived guilt trip that fades. My intention is that this would be a long-lasting culture in our church of reaching out to people without being weird. <laughs> but that we would just, that would be our natural thing, to want to reach out to people and just care for people and love people. Verse 6, he says, always speak with grace, season with salt. You're like, what does that mean? I think it just means to be kind, to be simple, to be 
comfortable and conversational, to be appropriate and to be interesting. Friends, the experience of God's grace should make us gracious. It really should. Trying to see and treat people the way we know that Jesus saw and treated us. But here's where we have to be very, very careful in that description. Because it's very easy to go to the other extreme where we think being gracious means not telling people about Jesus. I believe one of the reasons we don't share the good news of Jesus with people is we have been brainwashed by our never offend anybody culture. You know, in the area in which we live, many people, by far most people, have never been to a church that teaches the word of God. They've never been to a church that does that. And the simple reason for that is this. No one has ever invited them. Or no one has ever said that they will drive them. Friends, it's not kind, it's not compassionate, it's not loving if we're silent about Jesus Christ and the cross of Christ as the only way to have the forgiveness of sins and to get to heaven, to have Christ living in you. Now, this is very important, where I said it's not as obvious as we might think. In verse 6, he says that we ought to know how to answer people's questions. Hmm, What's he saying? He's saying that not only do we pray that our mouths open, but we pray that people around us who don't know Jesus, that their mouths open too with questions about our faith. And, you know, sometimes we backpedal when we know we should just say it. People ask me, like, what do you think of Westboro Baptist Church? I go, I hope that everybody in that world leaves that place, those people. The leaders are leading the people astray. They're so hateful. And the people that are there, they're only known what they're taught. You don't know what that is? Those are the guys who go to the, you know, you know, God hates fags. God kills people who have abortions. You know, you're going to hell and stuff like that. You just say that, listen, those people got to go. Don't be afraid to say it. Don't be afraid to say it. Well, I know a guy who's a Christian and, uh, you know, he, he cheats on his wife. He curses up a storm. He's got a filthy mind, a filthy mouth. He's got all these bad habits, but yet he goes to church every Sunday. You simply say this, you know what? There are lots of people who go to church on Sunday every week who are not really followers of Jesus. Don't be afraid to say it. Call it out for what it is. Call it out for what it is. You know, don't be like, well, you know, we're all sinners. You know, but now, listen, sometimes we have to say, you know, listen, if somebody makes a mistake, that's true. But if it's a lifestyle, don't be afraid to call it out. But, but really... Pray that people would ask you questions. And it's not wrong to say, I don't know. Let me find out and let me get back to you. And here's something I've learned over time. Maybe it's just me. When somebody asks me a question that I don't know, and now we got, it's great. You can research it on so many great websites out there to research stuff and great materials and stuff like that. I find that if I research it 
and then I get the back to someone and I explain it to them, God keeps it in my soul. And then I might not think about it for years and then somebody asks me the same question and it just comes out. It just comes out. So don't be afraid if you don't know. See, while we tend to pray that people would respond to us, the, the Apostle Paul says, pray that you would respond to people. In our fast-paced culture, too often, we find ourselves telling people things and answering questions that people are simply not asking. And that's why it's important that we need to speak with them and listen to them. Other than a simple gospel presentation, you say, I don't know what that is. Okay, here we go again. We have these at the info table, two sizes. <laughs> for those who like to put them in their wallet, and for those of us who are blind. <laughs> but apart from a simple gospel presentation, and I've gone through so many of these evangelistic courses, I just I dump the script, man. It doesn't work. Because you ask a person a question, and they answer, that's not in the script. And you go, no, wrong answer. <laughs> right? That's, what do you mean, wrong answer? You asked me an opinion about something. You know, if you were to die tonight, are you sure you'd go to heaven? I don't believe in heaven. No, no, no you can't answer that. You have to give me, tell, give me a different answer. It doesn't work with the script. So dump the script and follow the Lord's leading. 1 Peter 3.15, he says, Sanctify the Lord God in your hearts and always be ready. Always be ready to give a defense, some versions say an answer, to everyone who asks you a reason for the hope that is in you with meekness and fear. Some versions say with gentleness, respect. Isn't it interesting? He says, ask you for the reason for the hope that is in you. What is that hope? That is the certainty of the person and work of Jesus Christ on the cross And then we are to be ready to communicate that that is the power of God to forgive our sins and to send us to heaven. You say, I don't know, I don't know. How do I do this? Notice Peter said, speak of the hope. Speak of the certainty that is in you. One of my favorite things that Jesus said about this is in Mark chapter 5. This is one of my favorite chapters in the Bible. I love this. I can't even talk about it. Jesus meets this dude who's demon-possessed, and he heals him. The guy's like a normal guy afterwards. In fact, he's so normal, he makes the apostles look like a bunch of doofuses. It's an incredible passage. Read it for your homework. And, 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 and so he, he wanted to go with Jesus. He wanted to go with Jesus. And Mark 5, 19 and 20 says this. However, Jesus did not permit him, but said to him, now listen to this, go home to your friends and tell them what great things the Lord, just, just, Jesus just called himself the Lord, Go home to your friends and tell them what great things the Lord has done for you and how he has had compassion on you. 
And he departed and began to proclaim in Decapolis, that means the ten cities, all that Jesus had done for him, and all marveled. This guy really becomes the first Gentile missionary, the first missionary, really, sent out by Jesus. And the next time they came through that area, the people wanted Jesus out of there. The next time they came through, you know, surprise, surprise, the people were a lot more open. Why? Because he was able to say what happened to him. You used to be this demon-possessed dude. Now, what, what happened to you? I met Jesus. You, or rather, he met me. You used, to, you used to do drugs all the time, man. What happened to you? I met Jesus. You used to drink all the time. You used to be upset about everything all the time. You used to be blank all the time. But now you're so incredibly different. What happened to you? I met Jesus. So what is apostolic advice for the holidays? Pray that God softens the hearts of people and opens the door for the word. Instead of being afraid and being nervous, be ready to tell people you are so full of hope because Jesus Christ led a perfect life in your place. You don't have to even be a good person. He led a perfect life in your place. He died on the cross for your sins and he rose from the dead. And tell people that Jesus dying on the cross in someone's place for their sins is available to all who will just simply turn to God and put their trust in Jesus Christ. And then after you have that time to share that with people, pray like there is no tomorrow that God starts to bring that message to life in their hearts as he did for you. Don't get yourself up in a knot this Christmas season. Tell them what great things the Lord has done for you and, has ha- and how he has had compassion on you. Another version says, tell them, them how he has had mercy on you. In John 9, Jesus healed the blind man. They're just, they're grilling him. The religious leaders are grilling him. And he goes, listen, man, the one, this is all that I know. I once was blind and now I see. That's all I know. It's just simple. Don't complicate it. Tell them what the Lord has done for you and how kind he has been to you. And tell them how much the Lord Jesus desires to extend that kindness to all who want to receive it. And you never know what God might do. Well, let's stand and pray.